Hello and welcome to the Leadership Connector. This is Doug Flucknett once again. And today I am really pleased to have uh, an old friend and colleague, Rick Baldridge, join me today to talk about leadership. I've known Rick for, uh, let's see, it's going on 20 years. I think we met probably around 2002, 2003, somewhere in there. Rick was the uh, reliability leader for Cargill Oil Seeds at the time, and uh, they were looking to do some RCM. And uh, I have a really a fantastic story to lead this in with. Uh, I think we may have done some other RCMs prior to this, but he, he sent me an email one day and he said, hey, Doug, are you available to do a, an RCM in Sydney? And when I got that, I was like, wow, I'm, I'm going to go to Australia. This, this is unbelievable, right? And so I, I immediately called him and, and I, I said, uh, Sydney, Australia, when do you want to do that? And he was kind of quiet and all of a sudden he said, no, 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 Sydney, Ohio. <laughs> so needless to say, Sydney's a nice little town. Rick and I did a number of RCMs there many years ago, uh, stayed at a little holiday in that was, you know, almost seemed like a, a, a family owned joint. You know, we had the same uh, bartender at night. We got to know the people that worked in the kitchen and uh, we, we had quite a fit of bit of fun staying there and did some really good RCMs at that site as well. So good afternoon, Mr. Baldrige. Good to see you. Thank you, Doug. I appreciate it. Appreciate the opportunity. All right. So getting started, if you could uh, tell people a little bit about your background, where you went to school, some places that you've worked, what the different roles you've worked in, uh, stuff like that. Yeah, again, Rick Baldridge. Um, I did graduate from North Dakota State uh, back in 1980. Um, I came directly to Cargill. This is my 41st year. Um, very, uh, a lot of different opportunities that I have been in, inside of Cargill. Um, I actually started out as a production supervisor, um, did a lot of different things. Um, after that, I did get an opportunity to be a maintenance manager, kind of uh, cut my teeth on maintenance um, back in 1984. Um, but it was it was really it was more for uh, uh, development development reasons. Um, but I did uh, uh, develop some passion passion for it. Um, later moved moved from there and was the operations superintendent of a couple of barge loading facilities on the uh, mid Mississippi, um, and then uh, asked actually to come back to a large grain export facility and be a maintenance manager um, and did that for a while and then uh, from there came to uh, uh, Minneapolis our uh, corporate headquarters um, did a couple of couple of different different things um, currently I am the global reliability leader for for Cargill uh, which brings uh, good good challenge uh, uh, particularly for a company the size of Cargill. All right, and uh, for those listeners that have never seen a grain load and unload facility on on the Mississippi River, I, I got to tell you how impressed I was when I first saw uh, West Wego and uh, geez, remind me of the other one. Um, Reserve. 
Yeah, reserve. Incredible, right? And you think, well, how difficult can it be to load or unload those things? Well, reserves are unloading ships are huge, right? And you don't think about the pressure that comes with that until all of a sudden you learn, uh, yeah, by the way, you know, the ship is scheduled to be in at X time. And uh, if we're not ready to go, we go on the clock and that clock is really expensive to have that ship sitting there. Right. Well, I can't remember the ballpark figure. What's a ballpark figure when it just sits? It it, uh, it ranges quite a bit, but the tens of thousands of dollars uh, upward uh, per day, um, because that ship is a very valuable asset that is unemployed if it's not loaded and, and moving. Incredible. So, <clears throat> in that time frame, when you were a uh, reliability leader for oil seeds. And, and uh, <clears throat> one of the things I do remember about Cargill and being very impressed with was uh, you guys used to teach a, a two or three day workshop uh, in various locations around the world. How many of those did you do? Uh, the number of workshops, um, we were doing those uh, two a month and we did that for about 10 years. Wow. Uh, we made a, a, a step change with our reliability efforts inside of Cargill. It kind of changed the dimension of it. But overall, we've had between uh, six and 7,000 people that went through that. And, and that's impressive all on its own. You know, I looked at other companies and, and some of the struggles they had with reliability. And a lot of it's the people just don't speak the language, right? They don't understand the tools, uh, the methods that are available, the things that they can do. Uh, and get their people working on, right? You don't need to bring somebody like me in. Uh, you know, there's lots of stuff that you can do uh, to to get things kick-started and, and, and change and improve and, and work on that continuous improvement. Um, looking at your career, when would you say you were first recognized as a leader? What was going on and uh, what brought about that recognition, do you think? Um, it was... It was probably, in, you know, largely um, very, I'm very technically oriented. However, I've, <clears throat> I've always said that more important than the, the technical aspects, and that's, that's always been a very easy thing for me to acquire, but more important than that is ownership and being very people-oriented people and people-focused. Um, I, I would think to directly answer your question, uh, probably, probably back, back in those days when I was at a facility, you know, which it must be true because of the, the activities that I've done for Cargill afterwards have always been in a, in a leadership capacity. So I would probably say my interaction with people, uh, but I, but I will tell you a little story too, Doug, that. When I graduated from college, I uh, I was asked, I'd already accepted a, a job inside of Cargill. I really didn't know what that job was. I had no idea. I just knew where I was going. And I had been coming from North Dakota, got in my 1971 Ford LTD and drove <laughs> to the uh, East Coast. And uh, a couple of days after I'd been there, I realized that I'm a supervisor over people that I've been in, in the business for 20 to 40 years. 
Talk and, about uh, being thrown into the frying pan, huh? Right from college to <laughs> <laughs> supervising, yeah. right? People working right out there with, with the product and, and with the equipment. That's incredible. Yeah, and I had to learn very quickly that my my job really isn't to be the smartest one over all of these uh, operational processes, uh, but instead is to to be more of, a, of leading and understanding the overall objectives and how those all the different pe operational pieces fit together. So it was it was very good learning for me, and that's yeah that's how it all began. Well, I can tell you that uh, you know my view of Rick Baldridge as, as a leader. Uh, there's a couple stories that I could tell. One was uh, you know I watched you do that course twice, I think, and uh, one of the things I the takeaways I always had was. Throughout that course, you'd ask people, who's the leader? Who's the leader? We're the leaders in this room, right? And, and by the end of those three days, everybody's hands was up, right? And just getting people to recognize that they have those skills, that's an important piece, isn't it? Yeah, there's a, there's a big difference. And a lot of my point on that was the difference, to be, difference between managerial skills and leadership skills. And oftentimes that kind of gets mixed up. All managers need to be leaders. Well, the truth is not all managers are leaders and certainly all leaders do not have to be managers. It's, it's the power of influence. All right, the other trait that I, I've always thought of when I think of you and, and it's because uh, you and only one other person that, that I've worked with in actually doing RCMs and discussing the the real failure modes that are out there on equipment uh, twice, and and this is like I said, it's very unusual. You stepped forward and said, "Whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute, we're running that that that. We can't run that that way. That no way, right?" And this is a guy that, that got right up out of the room, walked out, and put a lock on a piece of equipment, and said, "That's not safe. We're not mm -hmm. operating that until that has been addressed and until it gets done." Right, and that is real character, right? And all of a sudden, the people in that room that have worked out there with that thing, and and by the way, it takes courage for them to step up and say, hey, you know, that gate can open and that machine won't shut down, right? That's been jimmied for a long time, right? And I'd never forget your face when you heard that. You, you, what, what did you just say, right? <laughs> We're not running it that way. Uh, and that, type of character goes a long way with people, right? And all of a sudden they realize, hey, this is serious and this is something that's really going to get done because somebody just acted on it right now. Um, so that was something that always impressed me about working with you. Uh, looking at your career, I'm sure there were some people that influenced you that you saw as me uh, mentors. If you would, if you could name a couple of those and, and, and say, Gee, here's what I learned from this or that person. Yeah, there's two people that come uh, right, right to my mind. You know, without, and I, and I come back with who I currently report to also fits in the category. But the ones that that really develop my leadership skills uh, is an individual by the name of Gary Hozak. He is uh, long since retired. He lives down in Florida. We still stay in contact. Um, and, and today, 
uh, in, in more that still works for Cargill, another individual, his name was Al Johnson. And the, and I reported to each one of them at, at different times. But the thing that I really noticed about them is that they did not feel like that they had to know everything regarding the job that they're in, that, that all the technical aspects. What they did believe in, and they were both very similar in, is surrounding them, understanding where talent is and surrounding themselves with talent, strong talent. And then his main objective, both of them, is to develop their skills and develop leadership skills, develop them as people. Um, how do they make uh, connections between all of the subject matter expertises? And uh, those two individuals, I really, really learned a lot from. Um, today, I report to an individual's name is Alejandro Barrero. Uh, very, very similar. And uh, it's easy, very easy for me to attract myself to individuals like that. And it doesn't mean that they're uh, easy people to work for. It, it, it doesn't mean that at all. Uh, they have high expectations. And I, I expect high expectations. You need to know what, what those things are. Um, but their their capability and ability uh, to develop uh, leadership styles and career. All right, along that same line of questioning, um, like I'm an attorney or something, <laughs> uh, there must be a book or a course that you've taken in the past that, that, that made a change to your career. If you could uh, name what those were uh, for our audience, because people are always looking for, hey, is there, is there a book out there I ought to get my hands on that, that I should read or a course I ought to take? What, do you have any recommendations there? I would say one, one of those books is uh, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits. That's a really good one. I mean, I have read it. Hang on, Rick. Are I the one that ends up with uh, the <laughs> phone noise in the background? Let me turn that stupid thing off. <laughs> and we'll do that question again. But worse than that, it's my wife who knows that I I have uh, three call or three podcasts going on today. Uh, and, and of course, how do you turn this thing off? I can't remember. There we go. All right, so Kim, give me two seconds and we will refire that question. <clears throat> All right, Rick, so along that same uh, line of questioning, uh, looking at books or books that you've read or courses that you've taken throughout your career that you think may have made an influence, our listeners are always interested in, in, in getting a recommendation for a book or a course that uh, you think would be worthwhile or, or somehow made a change to your career yeah there's a there's a there's a, a couple of books that come that come to my mind i had over over the past for sure 30 years i have read many many books um in in this space really a lot of books but once that come to my mind that i that i find to be very appropriate and and, and pretty pretty easily understood um, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits 
is a absolute fantastic book. Really easy to grasp on and understand the principles associated with it. Um, Making Common Sense Common Practice uh, by Ron Moore. And anybody that gets an opportunity to be around Ron, you will just naturally learn and understand the reasons that, that he wrote that book. Um, I think those two are, are really, really important. Very, very important books. I think they're, they should be requirements. Yeah, uh, Ron's book, I could tell you, you know, after having read that and, and then meeting him, it was one of those things where I, I really was like a kid meeting him because I, I had thought so much of that book and, and referenced it so many times to, to people. Uh, it was a, a special day for that. And then two years later, have him, uh, you know, um, put a comment to, to the book that I wrote that uh, is on the, on the back cover was just a thrill and we've uh, become friends through the years he's really a, a fantastic uh, guy how about how about any courses out there that you would say here's here's something people ought to take if they want to get started in this or get serious about it are, are there any courses out there that you would say are are a must yeah i'm not sure and of course i've, I've certainly been through a, a few courses in my in my day however I think one of the, by far the best thing is uh, practical, being a very practical, learning as you as you go. I think is really really important. But having um, objectives, and if your if your objective is to be a good strong leader, practice 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 those uh, that um, those skills. Um, another thing that has been very valuable to me. And it's really been a long time course is my involvement with the society of maintenance reliability professionals uh, smrp yeah. and it's not just being a member of smrp and i and i and i think that that's important because there's there's a lot of collateral that, that you can receive there's a lot of benefits that you can receive but more importantly there is a there's a lot of opportunity to get involved with committees there's a very a lot of opportunities to get involved with, with the board and I've had that that level of involvement for at least 15 years now and what it does really what it does for me like in inside of of Cargill uh, we have a lot of different enterprises and a lot of different groups and you you have to learn and adapt to how you work with with that that level of, of diversity um, in SMRP you're working with different companies and you have to understand the concept of perspective and are you willing to learn learn from others as opposed to be thinking about what the next thing you're going to say actually they're coming from a, pers a perspective of reason and uh, that has been very, very valuable. That's, that's probably been more important to me than any course that I've ever taken. That's an outstanding tip. You know, I can say that very early on, back in my Kodak days, I was an active member on and on a couple of committees. One was <clears throat> for the uh, uh, CMRP certification. Uh, very early on, I was part of that. And uh, I was on another one that uh, was for a like an RCM steering group. Uh, very early on, and it, what evolved from that came the J, 
1011 standard from the SAE community. Um, and then probably one of my regrets is when I went out and formed my own company is I, I really had the attitude from my Kodak days that it wasn't meant for me, you know, that they didn't really want suppliers there. Uh, it was it was for a community of, of manufacturing companies, right? So I, I kind of always kept that boundary and I probably shouldn't have um, today what I know now. So back on the subject of leadership, um, if you were forced to pick one way or the other, is, is leadership a natural skill or is it a learned skill? Both. And I shouldn't say more, pick one or the other. What are your views on that? I, I actually think there is is both, but if if you if you don't have the right profile, if you there's a difference between uh, your abilities to influence people, which that's what leaders do, or or being in a position of line management. And there's some profiles that are a little bit more conducive. To influence or conducive to management but I I've worked with a lot of managers lots of managers and I'm not just talking about managers that I have reported to that have made that transition but you really have to be open and realizing that if you have to tell somebody that you're the boss that must mean you're not really the boss <laughs> but that's the truth so you have obviously through the years been in a position where you've had to hire people. So if we're looking at leadership, what are some of the traits or skills that you look for when you're hiring somebody? I immediately look at their interpersonal, uh, listen to their interpersonal skills and just a normal, natural conversation. Um, and then um, I certainly make distinction between the, the, the true academics and the true practitioners. And it's, that's, it's important to me that, that either way that you have to have the, there's some interpersonal skills. You must be a, a people oriented. You must be caring, caring of people. Um, because I, I'll tell you, I, I strongly believe that all of our processes are about the iterative development of people the processes come along if, yeah. if you do that if you're iteratively de developing people and it's 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 somewhat baby steps and it takes some time for them to turn around and look back and say i can't believe that i have been able to accomplish this and it's not just about the financial goals or the reduction in hazard or the increase of availability it's really being able to look back at yourself and, and seeing your own personal development. And, uh, and it's not for sure, has nothing to do with leaving a legacy. I could care less about that at all. It's really about how, you know, what, what have I done um, that, that has uh, worked with people? And I always have a list of young people that I, that I see strong talent in um, and I uh, continue to work and mentor with them um, as time goes on because there's a day that we're we're all going to be gone. I mean, just take a, 
a, a glass of water and put your finger in the middle of that water and take your finger out and see how long your legacy really lasts. Um, so be thinking about the future and, and what, what's what's the future of reliability inside of Cargill. Does that make sense? So, by the way, you might uh, want to tune in and uh, when I posted one of those people that uh, that you talked about and and uh, helped with your career mentioned your name last week. That would be Jason Hartman. Uh, oh, I yeah. had him on last week, and uh, yeah, he had your name as a, as an influencer, saying that there, there's a guy that uh, helped influence my my career and my career growth, right? But in build that confidence, so uh, it's a, it's a wonderful thing uh, when you get put in that position. And just recently, by the way, I've had uh, an old friend from Kodak that uh, was was looking to. Uh, he's in a totally different business now, but was looking to hire some people. And, and uh, he said, look, I'm swamped. Can you go through some of the, this stack stuff that I got? Right. So uh, we met and he, he says, why do you keep throwing that first page out? And I said, I don't care where they went to school. <laughs> I, I want to know what they've done. Right. Yeah. What are you doing with that education? I don't, I don't care. Right. If If you got it. For the University of Phoenix online at night, or whether you went to Harvard, right? Yeah. Show me what you've done. That's yeah. really what leadership is about: is is taking what you've learned and then being able to apply it and help others, right? Um, so, at this point, Rick, you've been there 41 years, which, by the way, is an unusual uh, for the uh, Cargill. Uh, I think I've talked to a couple others that uh, have been around. I don't know, it was 41 years yet, but uh, in that 41 years, what would you, if I was to ask you, what would you list as your greatest success? Oh, that's, that's a good one. There, there's, uh, I am probably my biggest success is being where where I am today inside of Kurgill. Um, you know, I came from a relatively small community in North Dakota, and everybody knows that North Dakota doesn't even have a whole lot of people. Um, to be where I am, you know, I'm really blessed to be where I am today. I really am. And to have, have had people around me that have recognized my talents and have brought visibility to me, um, that, no question about it, that's, that's my, my biggest accomplishment. I mean, there's some, there's some things that I'm very proud of that uh, we do in Cargill, and it really stemmed from from things that I that I started um, intentionally or unintentionally, um, but that's probably the biggest thing, Doug. All right. Well, Rick, it's been fantastic catching up with you. It's been a while. Uh, I hope you enjoyed our conversation today, and I expect that sometime in the in the future I'll probably have you back again to talk about something different. Or you know, this is called the the leadership connection. Uh, there's certainly a huge uh, variety of topics when it comes to leadership. So good to see your smile and face and, and hear your voice again. Yeah, it was really nice. I really and probably my value, for, biggest value for me in doing this is, uh, again, being able to connect with you. You have been a, a very positive person inside of my life. Likewise. Right. I could I could was telling Kim before you come on, I said I could probably tell Rick stories for a couple hours, 
one of my favorite, which I will share with the leadership was, you know, Cargill was really the first large company that uh, I dealt with, right? Where, you know, I met with a couple of people and they said, yeah, we're gonna be the, you'll be the select supplier. And that, that was an honor enough, right? And then a couple of years down the road, we're at a different conference and, and somebody a, approached you to talk about uh, an RCM effort that they wanted to do. And, and you recommended me, and I'll never forget that day because they, they came to me just afterwards and said, hey, we, you know, we'd like to do RCM in uh, 18 different countries and seven different languages and uh, 80 different site locations. And I, and I looked at the guy and said, I'm not your guy. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy looked at me and said, Rick Baldridge told us you were the only one to do it, right? And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, I meant it. Yeah, and it, and it did work out. So thank you very much, my friend. It's been great being in touch with you again. Uh, this is Doug Plucknett, and this has been Leadership Connection. Have a great day.